What's going on, everyone? I'm Paul from the Little High Podcast, and in today's episode, I got the pleasure to interview one of the most well-known names in all of lacrosse, Paul Carcaterra. Besides having an exceptional high school and college career, Paul has done an amazing job as an analyst, interviewer, and broadcaster for ESPN. Paul and I talked about what it means to help grow the game of lacrosse and what steps are going to need to be taken in order to do so. Make sure to go follow Paul on Instagram, at Paul Carcaterra. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. What's up, everyone? With me today on the Low to High podcast, I have Mr. Paul Carcaterra. Paul, what's going on, man? How we doing? How we doing, man? Uh, back in the fall, I know you're anxious to start school. I'm anxious to get on the road and start calling sports again. So uh, it's been a long six months, to say the least. Yeah, I feel you. It's been, it's been pretty tough. But uh, how was your summer besides all this crazy stuff going on? Did you get to travel anywhere? I didn't travel too far. Uh, spent a little time out east, uh, Amagansett, with one of my good friends. Also, uh, family has a place down in New Jersey, so it was down by the uh, Jersey beaches, which this year, man, like the, the water was at an all-time epic high in terms of just how nice and beautiful and refreshing it was. So got to the beach with the family a couple times. Other than that, no crazy trips, you know, just running around. My daughter is uh, heading into fifth grade, or she started fifth grade uh, this week. So she's into the lax. So I took her to some tournaments, sat in the uh, parking lot while she practiced and uh, watched Netflix during the practices. And the summer flew, man. It really, really did fly. Uh, Did you watch any good shows or uh, movies? Yes. Yeah, look, before the, the quarantine, I wasn't really big into shows. Uh, reason being, I just was like a, a sports junkie, and I was just always, you know, looping Sports Center and um, constantly just, just watching games, that I, you know, teams I might be calling. So I'd just be fully immersed in that. But I found my love for, for regular shows and movies um, over the quarantine. Yeah, I, I, went, I went through a bunch, man. Uh, the Last Kingdom which was uh, a Viking show on Netflix was amazing. That was awesome. And then I, I had the, the Vikings kind of, uh, I don't know, the Vikings bug. So I went through the original Vikings as well. I think there was 80 episodes. I crushed that thing in a few weeks. Uh, so I had my whole little like Viking genre checked off that. I thought the last kingdom was even better than Vikings, but Vikings was, was pretty sweet. Ripped through uh, Ozark. That was really good. That was solid. I ripped through Breaking Bad. So, dude, I've watched a lot of television. Right now, I'm in Yellowstone. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that or seen that. I've heard on, of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a cool cool show with Kevin Costner. I'm, you know, I'm in the first season. So, if uh, history repeats itself, I'll rip through that pretty quickly, too. Uh, you get to watch any, like, the HBO shows, like any, like, the originals, like Entourage, Sopranos, Game of Thrones. You into that stuff? Uh, yeah, Game of Thrones was, was actually a show that I've always kept up with um, when it would drop. Uh, Sopranos, obviously. Entourage, never really got into that. Uh, Ray Donovan, I've watched that in the past. Uh, that's pretty cool. Billions, I, you know, I think I went through a, a season or two, but definitely not up to date. Yeah, I've seen, uh, going back to, I've seen Ozark. I watched that during quarantine. That was a really cool show. It was yeah. really similar to, like, kind of similar to Breaking Bad, just, like, kind of different stories, but, like, like the same, like, like big picture of, like, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's another season um, of Ozarks coming out, too, so that would be cool. And I think Last Kingdom 
is going to have another season too. So um, I'm up to date, ready to go. All right, let's start off with a couple of basic questions. Uh, where are you from, Kark? I'm from Yorktown, New York, um, not too far from you, Westchester County, born in, uh, in the New York City area, lived in the Bronx for a couple of years, was actually born in New Jersey, my mom's doctor was across the bridge, lived in the Bronx for a couple of years, my family moved up to what they called upstate, uh, if you lived in the city, and I spent, you know, my whole life in Yorktown. You know, we'd go on a, a family vacation every year, but Yorktown was my world. It was like, you know, if you were 20 minutes away in Scarsdale, you might as well have been in Minnesota. I did everything in Yorktown, hung out with all my boys, learned the game of lacrosse in Yorktown. Uh, so it was, a, it was a special time for, for me because my family had no experience with the game of lacrosse prior to moving. So when we moved to Yorktown, we find out – that uh, this town is, is not only a lacrosse town, it's a rabid lacrosse town uh, with just, you know, everyone's got goals in their backyard, kids playing with each other, the real communal feel based around the sport of lacrosse. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, man, like when you think of sports, you always think of like it's, it's roots being in a certain area. You know, you think of hockey, what do you think of? Canadian towns. Uh, football, high school football, what do you think of? You think of Texas, right? Uh, Yorktown and lacrosse had that same kind of feeling. Like when I was a kid, I always wanted to, to be a, a Yorktown lacrosse player. I didn't really aspire to be, you know, the next quarterback in the NFL that wins Super Bowls, although that'd be pretty sweet. Uh, just, just never was on my mind. I always wanted to be a lacrosse player. Uh, what were some of your favorite players growing up? Favorite players. So in my town, uh, there was a trio of brothers, uh, the Nelson brothers. Scott Nelson was the oldest, Tim Nelson, and Tom Nelson. Tom Nelson was 10 years older than me, and he really helped me out a lot. Like when I was in fifth grade, he was in college, and he taught me the game of lacrosse at, at another level. So uh, he, was, he was definitely one of my favorite players ever. He went to Yorktown, went to Syracuse. I followed in the same path as him going to Yorktown and then Syracuse. Uh, he was just someone, in terms of being a favorite player, he was, he was real to me too. Like I, I knew him, I looked up to him. He was a, a great, great human and a, and a great role model. So he was definitely one of them. But then I, I always liked, you know, guys from, from farther out regions, um, you know, whether it was the Gates, uh, Gary and Paul Gate were totally fascinating to watch play. They graduated seven years before me. Syracuse so those are like my middle school and high school years the gates I, I looked at as like wow like must see gotta watch these guys these guys are just so sick um and, and then there was some other guys too I mean I, I always remember you know watching Loyola when they broke through um in the early 90s I really liked an attackman because I was an attackman in high school switched to midfield in college there was a guy named Jim Blanding from Loyola I really liked um he had a, a really smooth game and kind of was part of those Loyola teams that, that put that program on the map. Um, so there was just different dudes. I even liked, you know, liked watching guys in different positions. You know, I, I remember Dave Petromala playing defense for Hopkins in the late 80s. Uh, he was a guy that was one of my favorite players, even though I didn't play defense. I just loved the way that he played. I loved how tenacious he was, and he was a risk taker and just a phenomenal presence on the field. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Like some of my favorite players, like when I grew up, like in middle school, I was always a huge Maryland fan. So like I always watched Rambo and Heacock and like, I didn't yeah. even play attack. I'm a face-off guy. And I just yeah. loved like watching them play. Like they always like, they highlighted every single game, always scoring goals, always had like really cool sellies. And even on like yeah. defense too, like uh, Matt Dunn and Kyle Burnlore, like I didn't know anything about goal, like being a goalie or playing defense, but yeah. they're so much fun to watch. Yeah, it's the way guys carry themselves on the field. Uh, there's just that, you know, certain aura that they kind of uh, display when they're on the field and there's a confidence. And, you know, a lot of guys that I always looked up to, you could tell we're having fun on the field too. That, that's, that's important to me. And I, and I try to tell kids that too. It should be important to them. Like you want to emulate yourself after a player on the field that is enjoying being on the field. I agree. Um, so after high school, you won a couple of state championships at Yorktown and then you went on to Syracuse for, to play lacrosse there. How come you chose Syracuse? You know, as I mentioned before, there was such a, a tradition with guys like Tom Nelson before me. And then, uh, kind of more current to, to my age, Dom Finn was three years older than me. He was my older brother, Steve's best friend. He was a Yorktown guy. He went up to Syracuse and then Roy Colsey, two years older than me, followed Dom. He went up to Syracuse. And then my best friend growing up was a guy named Rob Cadbit, who is a phenomenal attackman. He's one of the the four players in Syracuse history with 125 goals and 120 assists, the other three of the three pals. So he was a, a phenomenal player. Him and I were best friends. We were both getting recruited by Syracuse. And, um, you know, it just it's kind of – it hit us late. Like, we didn't always talk about going to college together. But once the recruiting process started and we were both getting calls from Syracuse, it, it kind of just lined up. And it was, it was awesome that it did because – having a guy who's your best friend and like your brother and you're gone through every step of the way with him. I mean, like, you know, nursery school and playing youth ball with him and eventually, um, you know, getting into the high school ranks with him. And, and, you know, we won three state titles in a row, our sophomore, junior, senior year to be able to share all of those experiences and then go off to college with him. It, it's like, I almost had like a safety blanket with me. Like you're uh, almost like your big brother. Yeah, exactly. So after you graduated from Syracuse, uh, you started becoming an analyst for ESPN, uh, started doing some broadcasting. Uh, how did you uh, like switch it? How did you go into that? Like, how did you start into getting into that role as a you know, person like that? Yeah, so Syracuse has the Newhouse School of, of Communications, which is like the, the best in the country. I think, you know, Northwestern has a really solid program for communications as well. But CUSE is always ranked in the, you know, the top one, two, or three nationally. I, I did not attend the Newhouse School. I went to, to Syracuse with the idea that I wanted to be um, a lawyer at first, and, and that fizzled out really quickly. Uh, and then I just decided I wanted to be around the game, and I wanted to coach after college. So I switched gears and uh, decided to, to focus, you know, my school um, endeavors – on, on education so I could be a teacher and a coach. So I graduated from, from CUSE in 97 and stayed up there an extra year to get my master's degree. Um, and I was a young high school lacrosse coach at Fox Lane, actually in Bedford. I was 22, 23 years old. I was the varsity head coach. Um, certainly young enough not to know really how to coach in terms of like the logistics. I knew the game obviously, but um, just all those little administrative things 
uh, were, were probably the biggest challenge for me. Um, so I stayed involved in the game as a coach. I was running cl clinics and camps um, and, and really kept in touch with everyone. I loved the game so much, and I always have. When I was younger, I used to read all the magazines, and back then there was no real internet. So, you know, you, you got a hard copy of something, you read through it, you memorized it. That kind of was the, the vibe that I had with, with lacrosse stuff. Like when the media guides came out for each school, like I, I used to get super pumped to – to read through those. And I knew the history of the game and I never wanted to be an announcer. I, I never didn't want to be an announcer. It just didn't come to, to mind that I would be an announcer. So there was a few guys from Cuse who I always kept in touch with. And, and, and one um, recommended me when there was a analyst job opening in CBS college sports, which is CSTV at the time. Um, he recommended me. I had no TV experience at all. So in 2004, I called my first game, which was Army, Navy. I was clueless in regards to, you know, how to call a game or, or how to be an announcer. But I felt like, wow, this is, this is something that I can get jazzed about because I, I felt like the adrenaline rush of, of the light of the television um, when you're on and you're live um, and to deal with the camera and to deal with the prep and to be around athletes, uh, it was really invigorating for me. So I, I left that one game wanting more. And uh, luckily, I auditioned for like, a full-time lacrosse position with CBS College Sports, uh, which was CSTV, uh, the following year in 2005, and I ended up landing that gig. So I did a whole full season and stayed with them for a few years. And then in 2010, I moved over to ESPN, was calling just lacrosse, and within a year uh, or two, I had some opportunities to call college football, which was awesome. And ESPN put me in so many different roles that I was really comfortable calling any sport, which isn't typical, too, because when you're an analyst in one sport, you, you traditionally will stay to that sport. But because of the different roles I had in lacrosse, uh, whether it was calling games from the field, being up in the booth, being in the studio, uh, doing some features and doing some storytelling, I really put myself in a position to, to do anything sports-related regardless uh, if it was lacrosse, football, basketball, um, I, I felt comfortable doing it just because of, of everything that I was doing at the time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's over 10 years now at ESPN, developed some unreal relationships. It's a team within itself, um, you know, just like, just like the old days, man. You have a guy who's like your coach, you got your teammates and your line mates, and it's been, uh, it's been a great experience for me because I've evolved um, from the perspective that um, I keep trying different things. You know, um, when I first started, I was just calling games and year after year, I've always kind of had a different agenda or wanted to have another initiative. So that's why I do a lot of features. That's why I have a podcast and I just try to keep it versatile and, and fresh because that's kind of what keeps me going. And, it keeps me pumped to, to do more. You're almost like a Swiss army knife. Like you could almost do anything like just sports related. Cause I remember you had the uh, through X with all the attackmen, which was a super cool series. I really like that. Then you have four quarters, then you have overtime. Uh, you do sideline announcing. Sometimes you're up in the booth. So it's like really cool that you could like be so close to the game in so many aspects, which is like not many people could really do that. So it's a pretty. Well, cool uh, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I, and I think it's just, it's, it's taking, 
it's taking a chance. It's, it's not really a risk because you should believe in yourself. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just put myself out there. You're, you're never going to be versatile unless you put yourself in versatile situations or you, you challenge yourself to be versatile. So I've always done that, but I found in sports, there's so much more than just calling the game. To me, uh, the gold really lies behind the scenes and the storytelling. Um, so I like to, to me that, that that's the most important thing. Like I would rather really have someone at home understand the backstory of someone than call a great goal. If that makes sense. Um, now with that said, there's those, those jarring tense moments in a game that are great to, to be part of because the adrenaline rush is there. If it's the overtime in a national championship game, you know, you don't know which direction it's going to go or you don't know who you're going to, target after the game until the ball hits the back of the net. I, I love those uncertainties to me that that is, that's the challenge. And, you know, you call me a Swiss army knife. I guess I could be a, a jack of all trades, master of none. I, I don't know. I just, I just like to keep it fresh. Um, yeah. I was telling my, uh, my friend's dad that I was going to be doing this podcast with you. And he said that you were so good, like, especially with that through, cause he watched through X two. We watched together, me, my friend and his dad. He said that like, you're so good at like opening people up on like a personal level that like a lot of like interviewers are not really able to do. Like you said before, like you want people, you like, you want to open up people, not just about sports, just like more about their personal life or like things that interest them. Like I remember with the whole Pat Spencer thing with you playing basketball with him, like no one really knew he was a huge basketball player. I think doing that, uh, I don't know, like, uh, interview with him really like helped him not just helped him but like helped everyone understand like how good of an athlete he really was yeah look it was it was a big big mission of mine to to make pat's basketball game live through that piece so anytime i i do a piece i i have a i have a mission in regards to what i what i want to be told story-wise so you know, if it, if it's, if it's, you know, Michael Sowers, maybe it's just how quick and how sudden he is and, and, and how productive he is from a point perspective that, you know, doing things that have never been done in college lacrosse before. Uh, so like that would be in the back of my mind when I, when I piece that, that show together with a guy like Pat Spencer, I knew at that time that he was, he was gunning for a fifth year to play college basketball. So I, I knew that was important to him. So it was important to me. That's why even when we called his games that year, I made sure we rolled in like the highlights of, 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 of that piece and all those highlights that we showed were actually basketball highlights because I, I wanted people to see like, look, man, there's some dudes playing lacrosse athletically that are off the charts. I think sometimes the sport of lacrosse doesn't get the respect of, of a basketball or a football athletically. But there are some dudes that, you know, really, really can ball them across and, and are athletes at another level. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, JT Giles Harris, he wanted to go play football. Oh, yeah. 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 Doc yeah. His, bro his brother's in the NFL. The, yeah. the only difference between his brother and him is his brother's a few inches taller. Yeah, Doc Aiken, I think, is going to play football at Nova. Jared Bernhardt yeah. is going to go play football up at Ferris State. So there's, there's a lot of athletes in lacrosse that, like, don't get, the, don't get enough respect that they deserve. Well, look at Chris Hogan, right? Yeah. Chris Hogan, the funny thing about Chris Hogan is I called one of his college games, and athletically he stood out. But 
he couldn't hit the cage. Like, he didn't dominate college lacrosse. I mean, Chris Hogan, you know, maybe he, maybe he made honorable mention All-American one year or at, at the max. I mean, he wasn't like a, a top midfielder in college lacrosse. He had the potential to be a top midfielder in college lacrosse. He just couldn't hit the cage. I mean, he shot probably around 20%. Um, so, you know, he would make these moves, you're like, ooh, wow, but, you know, the ball would sail. Um, you know, fast forward, he's got a couple Super Bowl rings and awesome guy. Multi-million dollar contract, too. Yeah, doesn't hurt. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, the reason I wanted you as a guest on my show today, since you've been around the sport for so long and has made such a big impact, um, I wanted to, to discuss a topic that is very crucial to the sport of lacrosse. I always hear the expression on broadcasts or see on social media posts the phrase, uh, grow the game. What does that mean to you? Growing the game to me means giving opportunities to kids that wouldn't exist without, you know, driving the passion that you have as a person and giving that passion to others that never would have existed without you interacting with them. Like, so for me, everyone talks about growing the game. Uh, talk is cheap. Resources and manpower aren't cheap. And when I mean resources, the money that it costs to grow the game and manpower, the actual hours that it takes to grow the game. So a lot of people talk about growing the game. But I think that you have to be invested in terms of the resources that you may be able to provide. And if you can't provide resources, that's totally fine. Provide time and, and, and manpower um, to, to really give boys and girls opportunities that never would have existed without the passion that you have for the sport of lacrosse. Because um, to me, there's just too many boys and girls out there right now that I feel without the guidance of a strong male or a strong female who is passionate about the sport of lacrosse, those younger players will, will never be able to, to reach their potential or see the game the way that we want them to see it without that male or female um, in his or her life. So growing the game to me means like finding the passion within that you have for the sport of lacrosse. We'll, we'll put it in lacrosse uh, tense here. And that passion that you have for the game, what are you doing to provide a young boy or young girl who doesn't have the opportunities that you had? Like, what are you doing about it, right? Like, you could grow the game. That, that slogan's great, okay? No disrespect. But what are the action steps? To me, it's all about action steps. Mm -hmm. So, uh, since you grew up in a big lacrosse town and went to a college that was also really big in lacrosse, did it ever surprise you that lacrosse wasn't as well known as you thought it was? Like, if when like once you uh, went out went out into the real world and like had a real job or like were doing uh, stuff for ESPN? You know, that that's a good question. I think to to me, it was never about what the national perception of the sport of lacrosse would be. I'm going to be honest, when I was introduced to the game, and I thought the game was so great, to me it was like, why wouldn't it be as popular as football or, or basketball or, or hockey or baseball? Um, as I got older, it, it, it meant less to me. It was more about providing opportunities for kids 
um, who wouldn't have them without passion of other people to, to give those opportunities to. But also, you know, the sport of lacrosse is such a great fraternity and there's some positives from the perspective that it, it's not basketball, football, hockey, or baseball, because, you know, in the sport of lacrosse, there's, there's that, there's that strong brotherhood that I think everyone is, is, is in it together. And because it's not this huge commercialized sport um, and you could say it's more of a niche sport that people really kind of bond together and, and it gives you a really cool vibe. It's, 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 it's like that fraternal feel that, um, that I think just, just, just really makes everyone feel like they're part of something special, right? Like you're in the same fraternity I am. Um, so to, to me, that is, that is super cool. If, if, you know, if, if you were interviewing, if you were a kid who was interviewing, you know, maybe a, a college, college football or, or NFL or major league baseball, uh, it would probably be a little harder to, to, to get that that interview, right? Like for, for you, you, you ping me with a DM on Instagram and I respond to you and we get it done. That's because we're part of that lacrosse fraternity. And I think we, we like to pay it back, you know, because we know that for the game to grow, we need the young, you know, the young trailblazers like yourself to, to be doing things that, you know, that I'm doing now. And, and, and you, you have that in the back of your mind. And I think that's special about the sport. So, to me, it, it, it was always it was always confusing why more people didn't want to play, and and I think there was the stereotypes behind the game, right? Like uh, this is a game that's played in the Northeast by you know rich kids that go to prep schools, and you know you always had that stigma. And to be quite honest with you, um, a lot of it was was right. This game is not where it needs to be. This game has to change. Um, and I think where we are in terms of, you know, the country and uh, the social injustice and, and the unrest that's, that's still prevalent today, um, I, I think it's an eye-opener for the sport of lacrosse as well. If we want this, this game really to grow, we have to provide opportunities for, for kids who who, who wouldn't have these opportunities four or five years ago. That's why I'm so passionate with, with programs like Bronx lacrosse that I'm involved with. It's really important to me. You know, Bronx lacrosse is, is located in, in the poorest congressional district in America. Those kids don't have opportunities. That's why I rally the, the, the troops and, and get behind what they're doing and, and try to give some resources of my own and some time of my own to, to make sure that we're providing this game and we're, we're moving forward to understand that this game needs to be more diverse because all of the stereotypes in the, in, in the past, they're stereotypes for a reason, right? Um, the game needs to look different, man. Like you can't turn on a TV on Memorial day weekend and, you know, only see one or two black males uh, playing in the NCAA championship or, you know, one or two black females playing in the NCAA championship. You want it, you want it to, to represent people of, of, of all different backgrounds. And, and that's, really, that's really important to me um, because it, it, hits, it hits home for me as well on, on multiple levels because 
you know, my father was a school teacher in the South Bronx for 32 years, and, and he taught us so much in terms of giving back and, and creating opportunities for people. So that's, that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, so the, the game, although I am surprised it's not bigger, I think some of the reasons why it's not bigger is because it hasn't been as inclusive as that needs to be, if that makes sense. So what programs or organizations have done a really good job to bring the sport of lacrosse to areas of the country where lacrosse is not very affordable? Well, I think for starters, one that hits home for me is, is Bronx lacrosse. Um, you know, that's a program. My brother Brian's on the board there. Um, I've stayed involved. I've, I've, I've tried to be a contributor in terms of uh, resources and time. I think they're doing amazing stuff. Dan Leventhal, who's, the founder of Bronx Lacrosse is a young, motivated uh, lacrosse guy who's just creating awesome opportunities for kids that are in the Bronx and the poorest congressional district in America. Um, so I, I think what he's done with Bronx Lacrosse is amazing. Uh, City Lax has been around for a while. Um, you know, Matt Levine has, has been instrumental in terms of growing the game in New York City. He's done amazing work. You have Harlem Lacrosse with – with Owen Van Ardsdale, um, that has just just really taken off and, and created opportunities. Charm City in, in Baltimore is another one, and uh, so many of these organizations have like satellites now, where you know they have representation from from out west um, that fall under the same umbrellas. I know uh, Denver has a has a strong program as well uh, in the inner city there. Uh, so those are just to name a few, and I think. What we need is we need momentum. And when I say momentum, it's, it's to carry on for these boys and girls past like the initial stages of, of when the game is introduced to them. And, and what I mean by that is um, regardless of, of, of where a game is introduced to a player, you have to have something in terms of an opportunity after the initial introduction to the game. And what I mean by that is whether you're in Yorktown, uh, whether you're in the Bronx, whether you're in Denver, um, if, 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 you know, you're um, anywhere else in the, in, in the country, in Baltimore, Maryland, it's critical that when you introduce the game of lacrosse, that there are opportunities at the high school level for these boys and girls who are, getting the sport introduced to them. And it doesn't stop there because I, I find that so many programs um, are really strong in, in creating opportunities for young boys and girls, you know, at the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade level. And then these, these kids will go off to all different high schools. The successful growth in a place like Yorktown where I'm from happens because there's high school opportunities and high school opportunities create college opportunities. So I think the biggest challenge for programs that are starting up, regardless of where it is, you need to have the next step planned out. So where are these boys and girls going after sixth, seventh, eighth grade? Where are their high school opportunities? Because ultimately if we want the game to change the highest level, we have to, be as strong in terms of the opportunities at the high school level as the middle school and elementary level. We want it introduced obviously at the elementary and middle school level, but the high school level is so important because I feel 
when we're growing the game of lacrosse, regardless of where it is, a lot of times the biggest hurdle is the lack of high school opportunities. I, I agree because there aren't, there aren't that many programs that like go above, like I know Harlem lacrosse does a really good job with this, that like, like they help their Cause they're affiliated with a specific high school. Yeah. So like they help their players like from ninth grade and above, but like a lot of it stops almost like most youth programs at eighth grade. And then it's almost cut off. Like yeah. no real affiliation with anything else. So this brings me to my last question for today. Um, do you think there are ways to further improve lacrosse participa participation and viewership and what can be, uh, what can the sport be doing better to grow its base? You know, I think, I think the sport of lacrosse almost needs like a, a czar or a commissioner, a commissioner that, that understands like all of the stages. And, and I think U.S. lacrosse, the governing body has pieces to that. But I think the sport needs even something a little more. Like could, could have a male or a female in a position that can help make decisions that are uniform. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because there is a lot of different agendas and, and, and many and in, in the majority of them have good intent. Uh, but I feel like the sport of lacrosse, oftentimes, not all the, the hands are talking to each other. Um, and it creates just kind of a division and it creates a, a, a lack of, of, of uniform that, that stymies the growth. Like I would like, I would like to see something where if we're going to grow it on a national level at the college level, like maybe colleges, you know, will, will play it at, at a certain time during the week and maybe high schools play at a certain time. And, you know, we're playing these great college games and we're, we're putting it on the air at ESPN. And a lot of the times in, in the spring, every lacrosse player is on a field himself or herself. Uh, and they don't have the opportunities to, to watch. Um, so I think, I think we just need more dialogue in, re, in regards to that, right? Like I think um, for younger players to be stoked and to have opportunities where they're, they're looking at college players in the spring as their idols and, and, and players that they aspire to be, I'd like them to be able to, to watch them more. Um, so, you know, maybe colleges, you know, maybe there's, you know, we've had some experience in the past with like a game of the week, but maybe there's a couple nights of the week that there's a game of the week in college lacrosse where everyone's home from their practice or their game midweek and, and they're watching college lacrosse. Um, I, I think that would be really cool. I, I just think that, there's, there's too many times where, you know, not everyone is aligned. Um, and, and I, and I, and I think, I think the opportunities will, will be there to change. I think the game's grown so much. I, I look at the last, you know, 15 years, the game has, has grown so, so much and the amount of exposure and, and how many games are on for, for people to consume. Um, it, it's there. I, I just think for the sport to grow, um, obviously uh, the better the pro league, is and, and the more exposure the pro league can have uh you know you look at what the pll's done in terms of their their marketing and their social media it's, it's a really really strong brand if we get momentum there um and if we can have the, the, the college game uh which is which is so fascinating what you have to understand with college lacrosse too there are years and decades of of just 
diehard, passionate fans. You know, if you went to Maryland, your kid goes to Maryland, like you're a Maryland fan for life. So there's those built-in, those built-in tradition and, and, and fans that are, that are there, that are so strong, make the college game great. Because like, you know, I went to Syracuse and Syracuse is on, I want to watch them. Um, that takes time though. Um, you know, and, and college has that more than anything right now. Because the PLL, you know, a couple of years in, although there's been great reviews in the PLL and they're doing a phenomenal job, you don't have that, like, that, that tradition in terms of just time. It takes, takes time, right? So I, I think that's really important. So I, I, think, I think it's important that the pro league and the college league and high school and youth are, are talking to each other, like, maybe there has to be a committee within us lacrosse where there's kind of representation in terms of just scheduling, because I think scheduling is a problem because all the hands aren't talking to each other. And there's so many times where it's just overlapping and it. You know, there's youth tournaments at the same time as the final four, like that shouldn't happen. Right. Unless the youth tournaments are at the final four and they break during the games where they can watch their, 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 their heroes and, and people they idolize. So I think if you take the sport, male and female representation at the professional level, male and female representation at the college level, male and female representation at the high school level, male and female representation at the youth level. And let's all be in the same room because right now there's just, there's just too much going on and it's, it's no one's fault. It's just, they're not in sync. Mm-hmm. I agree because I was talking about this with my high school coach about how in February the season starts and there's college uh, college basketball everywhere. So you don't get to see you'll get to see a uh, like a college lacrosse game on ESPN Plus, which like people have to pay for. You're never going to see it on ESPNU, especially during the month of February and March. Then you have to wait until like mid-April for col- uh, for college basketball to end. And then that's when like college across starts to kick in, but it's still not getting as much exposure because more like high school and youth programs start like going in like uh, full throttle, especially high school, like playoffs are starting, like conference games are happening. And it's like, it's tough to catch a game. It's not, it's not so, it's not so easy. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I will tell you this, um, being with ESPN for as long as I have been, Lacrosse is a big deal for us, and we put a lot of resources into the sport of lacrosse. So, to me, when you asked the previous question about taking it to the next level, like I, I see it through the eyes of we have this great product and we put it out there. Let's have all those different buckets pro, high school, uh, college, and, and youth talk so we could, we could promote this thing together, right? Yeah, I agree. Anyways, thank you so much, Mr. Carcaterra, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on, hear all your thoughts and opinions about everything to help grow the game of lacrosse. Well, I appreciate it, man. And uh, best of luck this fall as you get back to school and your upcoming season. It was a pleasure being with you today. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good day. Thank you.